Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be studying Buddhist chanting. This is part two of our four-part series, which we started part one last week. And today we're going to do something kind of unique where we're just going to kind of review just very briefly what we did last week. And then we're actually going to start using the chants right away and actually move into meditation. So we're going to be meditating today as part of the core of our class, but we're going to use the chanting to kind of ease into meditation and then do our meditation and then ease back out. But we're going to do this where we're going to actually be doing the chants three times on the way in and three times on the way out for all of us to be chanting together to help you practice. And as we go in our recap, of course, I'll give you guys a chance to ask any questions. And then at the end, after we come out of meditation and do our chanting at the end, I'll give you guys a chance to ask any questions there as well. So I'm really pleased that you joined us. If you didn't join us for last Wednesday, when we started with the part one of Buddhist chanting, you can see that on our podcast or in our YouTube channel where that's been saved in there and you can go back and see more of the details of Buddhist chanting and the benefits. But just to get us into kind of a little bit of a recap, let me share what I shared last week in terms of the benefits of chanting. Here you can just see about seven different benefits and we talked about some others as well along the way that as we meditate, and we ease into meditation, it's really important to set up mindfulness in front of you. And mindfulness is awareness of mind. So ensuring that you have something to kind of ease the mind into meditation and create a bit of a buffer. The other thing that chanting does is it helps create this concentration and this memory because you need to really focus on learning the meditations and concentrating on them prior to and after meditation, if that's how you choose to use chanting. It also helps you start to develop awareness of breath because in order to do the chants verbally, you're going to need to have a certain breath and and have awareness of breath, which both of these things combined, awareness of the mind and awareness of the breath is exactly what you need in meditation. So kind of having this practice of chanting prior to meditation will help you to become aware of the mind and aware of the breath before you ease into meditation and kind of give you a bit of a buffer and kind of a ramp up to getting into your meditation itself so that you'll get more benefit out of the meditation itself. The chanting can kind of slow the mind and relax it and ease it into meditation because sometimes when we first start getting a bit of benefit out of meditation, we might start craving meditation. The mind might start wanting meditation, having this longing, strong eagerness to get into meditation. 
And if you kind of slow it down and just kind of take your time chanting the chants on the way into meditation, it can kind of help ease the mind and kind of slow it down and reduce or eliminate any kind of craving that might have developed about meditation itself. Because there is no such thing as a good or wholesome craving desire attachment. All craving desire attachment is going to lead to discontentedness at some point. So if the mind takes great pleasure in meditating and it wants to meditate and it craves meditating and has this longing, strong eagerness for it, you're not going to be able to meditate every single day for the rest of your life because of impermanence. There's going to be things that happen occasionally that's going to inhibit you from meditating. Whereas if you have this longing and strong eagerness, this craving, desire, attachment for it, those times when you're not able to meditate, then you're going to experience discontentedness as it relates to not being able to meditate. And I've given examples about this in the past where at one point I had a motorbike accident and I cracked a rib and for about a week and a half, I couldn't meditate and I was just, okay, no big deal because I knew that the cracked rib was impermanent and it would be fixed and at some point I would be able to breathe better and actually be able to meditate. But if the mind was craving, desiring, attached to meditation, then at that time the mind would have been discontent because it couldn't meditate for a week and a half. And then once I did start meditating, I couldn't really chant because I couldn't get full air into the lungs. So. This chanting can help help ease the mind and slow it down and help eliminate any craving that might arise related to meditation itself. There's an audible indication of improvement as you chant and you get better and better each week or each month. This can be really encouraging and motivating to your practice. If you're having challenges seeing your practice improving, this can be one way that you observe that improvement is through the audible indication of your chanting as it improves as you get better and better. And then also there's a certain amount of respect and gratitude to the elders that gets cultivated as part of this, even respect and gratitude to Gautama Buddha because the chants that I share are all based on respect and gratitude to Gautama Buddha. So this cultivation of respect and gratitude to people that you've never met and you never will meet can be really beneficial to help you then apply that same type of respect and gratitude to people who are in your life today so that you can practice being respectful and having gratitude towards all beings around you. Not that people have to earn your respect because that would require you to judge them and hold back your respect, but instead you can just respect everybody and this will allow you to experience more wholesome results because you're just being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful and having that gratitude towards all people at all times. And then I shared also at the end of our first class talking about the benefits of chanting, what chanting isn't. Chanting isn't a magical, mystical practice that's going to bring some instant benefits. There is no aspect of chanting that's going to invoke any you know, spiritual entity or anything to produce any beneficial result and kind of poof, you know, some magical or mystical or superstitious or auspicious thing. It's really for these benefits that I talked about. Mindfulness, awareness of mind, concentration, memory, awareness of breath, easing the mind into meditation, kind of slowing it down, creating this buffer, giving you this audible indication of your practice improving, cultivating this respect and gratitude. So there's no chant that's going to instantly 
get you to enlightenment or there's no chant that's going to necessarily get you to enlightenment quicker just because of those special words. There's no special chant that's going to extend your life and give you a longer life. There's no chant that's going to eliminate all your unwholesome karma. There's no chant that's going to get you back together with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? There's nothing like this that is really producing the benefit. In fact, if your mind believed in those things, that somehow there was this special power associated with these words, then your mind is actually more diluted and it's experiencing ignorance or unknowing of true reality. So it's important that you see that the chanting is all about tangible benefits for your mind and it's your mind that is benefiting from the chanting and we also talked about how chanting isn't necessarily required in order to attain enlightenment it can be helpful for those who choose to practice it and gain the benefits that i talked about but there's people who attain enlightenment that don't chant either and that's how you know that chanting isn't magical or mystical is that you know, you can actually attain enlightenment without chanting, but it can be beneficial to your practice if you choose to do it. And we do it in the Pali language, which is the historical language that the teachings of the Buddha are captured in. So since that is a no longer a spoken language today, we use these chants more as, like I said, respect and gratitude to the Buddha, where in the past they used them as a way to memorize the teachings and pass them down from generation to generation to generation. But today we actually have very few people on the earth that understand and know the Pali language. So we don't chant in order to memorize the teachings, but more as admiration and gratitude and respect for the Buddha. The chants that we are using, the first one is called the triple gem or triple jewel. This is the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, or another way to say that is the Buddha, the master teacher, the individual who lived 2,500 years ago. He attained enlightenment through his own journey. His self-discovered teachings then were shared throughout his lifetime for 45 years. Countless people attained enlightenment during his lifetime, and he left the teachings in a condition that after he died, more and more people could attain enlightenment after his death. So that's why we know he's a Buddha, because these three primary criteria were met as part of his life. The teachings, or the Dhamma, we pay respect to those because we need to have access to the teachings in order to attain enlightenment, and we need to have access to a community, or the Sangha. With these three things, the triple gem, confidence in the Buddha, access to his teachings, and being part of a community, then an individual has the three criteria that they need in order to attain enlightenment. And you may not have 100% confidence in the Buddha right now, and that's okay. That kind of develops as you learn more and more of his teachings and you see the improvement in the condition of the mind, you might develop your confidence more and more and erode any doubt. But you definitely have access to his teachings because in our Facebook group, Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, we have all the different resources in our Facebook group, on our website, buddhadailywisdom.com, where you can get books and podcasts and audiobooks and online classes and personal guidance and all different kinds of opportunities for you to learn. So you definitely have access to his teachings. And the community, we have a community spread out all throughout the world where we have practitioners 
who are learning and practicing the Buddhist teachings. Of course, it's their own independent practice, but we come together online through these online classes to learn and support and encourage each other along this path. And once Thailand gets opened back up after COVID, we'll start having retreats again where people can actually start coming to Thailand and we can host retreats here in Thailand and people can learn more in person because we have in-person learning here in Chiang Mai, Thailand as well. So you have access to all three of these things and we chant these three phrases in order to acknowledge the triple gem and show respect and gratitude for that. Then the second chant that we do, the Natmotasa, this is respect for Gautama Buddha and we just do this one three times over and over. And then the third one that we do is the Itipiso. This one's a little bit more challenging for most people. And as you're learning, you might choose to learn all three of these at the same time, or you might choose to learn the Natmotasa first, then the Arahang Sama Sambutasa, and then the Itipiso. It's up to you how you choose to learn, but I teach them all at one time. And in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, in chapter 11, you'll see these chants and the English translations in there. And I have the audiobook. All of this stuff is available for free. I also have the audiobook where I chant in the audiobook. And there's also many podcasts and YouTube videos where I've recorded chanting so you can practice these at home. And the more and more proficient that you get with them, you'll see that they really improve the condition of the mind. And then when you get together with the Sangha, with the community, then as a community, we can all be chanting these together. And here in our online classes, we have to keep everyone on mute because we can't sync up through the internet connections. There's just too much impermanence to allow us to all harmonize and chant together. But as you go out into various temple environments or you visit various venues that are practicing these teachings, you'll be able to chant right along with them. And a lot of these same syllables show up in other chants. So when you go to each individual venue, they will have a printout typically of their various chants and you can just pick those up and probably follow along pretty readily with just about any temple community. In addition to these chants being in the book from the Daily Wisdom Walking the Path with the Buddha Facebook group, you can go to the file section and there's a one page sheet there that you can download and you can print that as like a little cheat sheet and keep it with you as you do meditation each day and kind of chant before and after your meditation as a bit of a way to ease into meditation and ease out of meditation. So do we have any questions on anything that I just covered as part of our recap today? Looks like we have no questions at this time, David. Looks like we're ready to chant and go into meditation. Okay, so let's do that. The way that I would like to do it is James and I are flipping the slides so that you guys can see the chants on the screen. And normally we would just chant each chant one time, go into meditation and chant each chant once on the way out. But what I'd like to do as part of our practice session is do each chant three times, but go through it in its entirety. So do the triple gem, the Arahang Samasambhutasa, the Natmotasa, the Itipiso. And then start over, probably take a breath, maybe a little bit of a, a sip of water if you've got some water close by. Start again, Arahang, Natmotasa, Itipiso. And then start again on the third iteration 
after we get through the three chants, we'll just go into breathing mindfulness meditation and just do breathing mindfulness meditation for today. And then at some point, we will be finished with meditation and I'll just start with Arahang Sama Samputasa. And on the way out, we'll do it three times again, all three chants, Arahang Natmo Itipiso, Arahang Natmo Itipiso, Arahang Natmo Itipiso. And James and I will just kind of flip through the slides. For those of you guys that would like to use the visual aids, you'll have those for you. So if you're on Facebook, YouTube, on the podcast, anywhere that we're streaming this to or in our Zoom virtual classroom, you can be chanting along. Even if you're watching this on the playback, on the replay, you can still actually be chanting along because chanting with somebody that's actually chanting and, and knows the chants can be really helpful because you'll hear it and you can kind of try to emulate the chants that you're hearing. So when you're practicing this at home, if you use some of the recordings that I've done, you can actually be listening to those while you're practicing your chanting, which will help refine your chanting as well. So let's go ahead and get ready for meditation. Just pull up a cushion or a chair, whatever you're, you like to meditate with. And then bring your palms together, palm to palm, at your sternum. And then we'll just chant each of these three times as we go through. We'll do three passes all the way through. And you should know where the breaths are at this point. But on the first time through, I'll cue the breath. And then after that, I won't cue it anymore. Okay? So take a nice deep breath. Inhale. Breath. Arahang Sama 
Chacharanang Samhono Breath Sakato Rokavito Anu Tero Purisa Breath Dama Sati Satatawa Manu Sanang Breath Puto Pakawati Okay, so now let's go through two more times without cues and then we'll just slip right into meditation and I'll do some guidance to help us ease into meditation. Arahang Samasam Savakato Mahagavata Tammo Dhamang Namasami Supatipano Mahagavato Savakasanko Sankhang Namami Napmodhasabhagavato Arahato Sammasamputasya Napmodhasabhagavato Arahato Sammasamputasya Napmodhasabhagavato Arahato Sammasamputasya Iti piso bhagava arahang samasam hoto vichacharanang samhuno sakato rokavito Anu Tero Purisa Dhamma Sati Satatawa Manu Sanang Puto Pakavati Okay, one more time, then we'll go to meditation. Arahang Sammasam Uto Mahakavah Puatang 
consistent, natural breaths. Breathing in and out. You don't have to match your breath to my guidance, but just generally focus on having a nice, easy inhale, experiencing the full breath, and a nice, easy exhale. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Focus the mind on the breath. 
the sound of the breath, or the sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. The mind can be peaceful when it's in the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. As the mind wants to take you to the past or the future, wondering, having any ideas or thoughts or perceptions, don't judge these, don't label them, don't even try to figure out where they come from. Just let them go, cut them off, bring the mind back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. tendency to hold on. It wants the objects of its affection. This is craving, desire, attachment. We're training the mind to let go. You're not going to eliminate thoughts, but you're just going to train it more and more easily to catch it when it's not in the present moment. Cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath. In this way, the mind will get better and better at letting go. Breathing in and out. interested to hold on to the sound of this voice. So I'm going to be quiet and let you just focus on the breath, cutting off, letting go of any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, bringing the mind into the present moment. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in and out.
ตังมหาคาวันหังอภิวาเตมีสาวคาโตมหาคาวตาตัมโมดามังนามาสามสุปเทปานุมหากวัตโตสาวกสังโฆสังหานามามิณัปมรหสาภากวัตโตอาราตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธะสานับมรหสาภากวัตโตอาราตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธะสานับมรหสาภากวัตโตอาราตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธะสาอิติปิโสมหากวาอาราหังสัมมาสัมพุทโตวิจจารณังสามหุนโอสขาตโรกาวิตุอนุเตโรภุริสาดามาสติสัตตาวามนุสนังผู้ตภาควัตอาราหังสัมมาสัมพุทโธมหาคาวังผู้ตั้งมหาคาวันหังอภิวาเตมีสาวคาโตมหาคาวตาตัมโมดามังนามาสามสุปเทปานุมหากวัตโตสาวกสังโฆสังขังนามามิณัปมรหสาภากวัตโตอาราตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธะ
meditation all right I would like to just open things up to you guys to see if there's any questions about chanting meditation anything that we've been studying along this path in the group learning program or anything that you guys would like to ask questions about related to Gautama Buddhist teachings you can put your questions in Facebook YouTube or zoom in the comment section and our moderators will see that and get your question asked during the class and then for Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and our moderators will be sure that you get unmuted so that you can ask any questions that you have directly or any follow-up questions. So with that, I'll just turn things over to you guys. Hi, David. I had a question about chanting. And we had a question last week about learning the meanings of chantings, of the chants. And I was wondering, as we chant, should we be visualizing the meanings once we learn them? It's up to you, you know, if you feel like that's helpful. You know, I think early on you're kind of so busy memorizing the, the chants themselves that it's probably quite a bit of challenge to put the meanings in there too. But I feel like if you just know the meaning and you generally connect with it and understand what you're saying, that comes through in your chanting, your intention in chanting. But if you have the ability to think about that and know that that's what you're chanting, then that's fine. But don't give yourself too many things to think about. Just try to focus on the chanting itself. I also had a question about the stillness that we find in meditation. Do you believe that the stillness is a result of being able to let go of the thoughts that come? Or are we eventually moving toward a direction where fewer sort of no thoughts are arising in our meditation at all? Yeah, so I, I don't believe anything, but from what I know from experience is that this meditation, along with your daily practice of letting go throughout your day, applying right effort, that you will start to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. That's what's causing the mind to go to the past, go to the future, have all these erroneous thoughts, and you will quiet the mind, you will still the mind. So what I feel is happening and what I see and have observed is that as you cut down craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with strong eagerness through your meditation, through generosity, through practicing in daily life, that when you see craving arise, you cut it off by applying right effort, eliminate that unwholesome quality and arise wholesome qualities in the mind, then that will all start stilling the mind and calming the mind. And what you'll notice is that the thoughts will get fewer and fewer and fewer as your meditation practice develops. Your mind will have a tendency to stay on the breath for longer and longer and longer periods of time. As your mind does go to a thought, even when the mind's enlightened and it goes to a thought, you will notice it very quickly and you will be able to very easily cut that off and bring it back to the breath. But that all happens as it kind of tempers and gets lesser and lesser thoughts gets easier and easier to stay in that groove that you're meditating and the mind just becomes very still very peaceful 
And it's almost like experiencing a bit of enlightenment as you experience those gaps between thoughts where everything's just completely still and there's just so much peacefulness and quietness there. That's almost like temporary enlightenment where you get kind of a glimpse of what enlightenment's like, the enlightened mind is like. And then another thought comes. But then you kind of get used to letting that go and then coming right back to the breath. And that happens sooner and sooner and sooner because you have less craving, you have more mindfulness or awareness of mind, and you have the ability to let go easier and easier and easier. Sounds like a great example of the various parts of the path and the teaching coming together. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's important that you don't crave what I'm talking about, you know, because oftentimes there's questions in this class about, you know, what is enlightenment like or, you know, what is your practice as it develops? Or, you know, I talk about this peaceful, calm, serene and content mind. And the more you practice, you know, the, this is what you're going to experience. The more you practice, it's important when you hear these wonderful things that you don't crave those themselves because that can be a hindrance to enlightenment that you hear this wonderful way of the mind getting to be trained and existing and you know your mind's not there yet and the mind can oftentimes crave that and crave enlightenment itself so you've got to get to the point where you just are dedicated to the path you're learning and practicing the path because you know it's the right thing to do and your intention is to keep progressing with diligence and determination. But when or if you ever get to enlightenment, it's yet to be determined. But if you fixate your mind and you crave this enlightened mental state, you'll never get it because there's still craving there. So you've got to even let go of that. One of the ways that I suggest people to do that is oftentimes to just consider yourself already enlightened. Because oftentimes when there's something that we're trying to acquire, then we don't have it yet. The mind wants it more because the mind thinks it doesn't have it. So therefore it's trying to acquire it. Whereas if you consider the mind already enlightened and there's just pollution in the way and you're and what you're doing in your practice is clearing out that pollution so that the enlightened mind can shine through more and more. That can be one way to just not crave this enlightened, peaceful mental state because you feel like, okay, well, it's already there. I just need to clear out all this confusion, all this ignorance, all this defilement, all these taints, all this pollution that's in there. And then I can experience it more and more because you do kind of experience little glimpses of it here and there as you're on the path, you know, even five minutes here or an hour there. It's like, whoa, that kind of feels very peaceful. And then something happens and then boom, you know, that's gone. Or you might experience several days or weeks like that. And then boom, discontentedness will come in. So there's a case to be made that the mind is already enlightened. It's just experiencing this pollution that's inhibiting us from experiencing it all the time. Thanks, David. We'll go to Basim now for some questions on Zoom. Okay, thanks, James. Um, Manel Hill has a question, so let's go to Manel. Hi, teacher David. Um, I wanted to refer to the first uh, chant that we reviewed, um, especially speaking about the Sangha. Um, what is the depth of support that one can receive from a Sangha? Um, and I think the general 
uh, description of a sangha is sort of like a brotherhood and sisterhood. But in terms of Buddhist sangha, what can one hope or um, what sort of support can we actually receive from the sangha? Right. So generally the word sangha means community, but then the Buddha broke it down into individual different types of the sangha. So he had the bhikkhu sangha, which is the male ordained practitioners, the bhikkhuni sangha, which are the female ordained practitioners. Then he called the aryan sangha, which is anyone who's attained any of the four stages of enlightenment. These were like the noble ones, the the ones who were farthest on the path, the Aryan Sangha. So there's those three subcategories, but then there's like the overall Sangha, the overall community. And the level of support that someone chooses and how they engage with the Sangha or the community is totally up to each individual. You know, it can be going to a temple occasionally, it can be attending classes, it can be coming online like this to classes, it can be going to retreats, it can be getting personal guidance, meeting with your teacher weekly or every two weeks or once a month or whatever schedule somebody would like. But in order to attain enlightenment, there's going to need to be some type of connection to a Sangha. And then beyond the things that I just shared is like having interpersonal relationships amongst each other not just with your teacher but like you know like Manal, James, Miranda, Bassam, Holly, Nick, all of you guys and others interacting with each other as you choose you know outside of class it doesn't have to happen it's not required to happen but if you choose to connect with other members of your community, it's kind of nice to talk over some things that are going on in your life and some of the teachings. And the more that you have people to discuss the teachings with, it kind of brings the teachings to the surface. So the Buddha would teach, like, for example, like a class, like I'm teaching a class and he would give a talk and then he would go off and do other things. And the bhikkhu sangha, the bikini sangha, the aryan sangha, the overall community, they were encouraged to talk amongst themselves and discuss the teachings outside of the presence of the teacher, outside of the presence of the Buddha, because that helps to learn, you know, right view, right intention, right speech. You can really work on right speech. You can build relationships and learn how to do that, but also it helps you to figure out how to articulate the teachings because as you're articulating the teachings, it helps to soak them into the mind more. So that can be really helpful to not only have interaction with your teacher and all these different resources that your teacher is providing, but also having connections to individuals as well. Because if we all lived here in Chiang Mai, like if you guys all lived here or you decide to come visit here for a few weeks or a few months or what have you, you know, there'll be classes at a temple. And then after the classes, you know, students will just go off and do things with each other. And you would have that time to spend with each other, to interact with each other. And because this group is pretty much online for now, starting out over time, you guys will get a chance to probably meet each other in person. But just because we're online doesn't mean you can't message each other. or You couldn't call each other or develop connections outside of class with each other. So it's really whatever level of support the practitioner chooses. 
but there needs to be some type of interaction with the teacher, you know, in class. And I also suggest outside of class having some personal interaction as well, because the more the teacher understands your mind and the things that you've got going on in your life, as you seek guidance, they can actually offer more specific and more direct guidance because they understand a little bit about your life. Not that a teacher should ever be forcing you to take their guidance or telling you what to do, but just by knowing that you're single or you're a mom or you have kids or you live in this part of the world or you do this type of job or you're newly married or you newly have children or any of these kind of things, it's really helpful. Uh, knowing that you, you know, maybe just got out of a hard relationship or, you know, you ended a relationship five or 10 years ago and you haven't been able to date anybody since then because the mind is still holding on to something from the past. These kind of things can be really helpful and they usually only come out through personal discussions where someone can feel comfortable talking about their fears and certain guilts and certain wrongdoings that they might do. You know, I've had students share all kinds of different things that they've been into in terms of drugs or alcohol or sex addiction, gambling addictions, pornography, all these kind of things and cheating on their spouses or their partners. And that kind of information is retained by the teacher and it's never shared outside of the, that one-on-one conversation because the teacher should be practicing a very high moral conduct and their only goal, their only interest should be to help you. But by you being comfortable to open up and share, then the teacher understands more about you. They're not judging you. They're not interested in that. They're just interested to understand your mind and the craving, desires, attachments that you're working on and that are challenging you so that they can then help you get over them. You know, you should never feel judged or you should never feel that your teacher is looking down on you because anybody who is enlightened has already done and experienced all the things that you're, you've done as well. So if you've been into drugs and alcohol or you've had uh, wrongdoings here and there, if you've lied or stolen or whatever, anybody who's enlightened has done all that same stuff. And they're not interested in judging anybody because they used to do the same things too. They're going to have compassion for people who are on a different part of the path than they are on. And they will just be interested in helping them to move and progress forward. So you can feel comfortable opening up to your teacher. And then as you build relationships with your other members of the community, you may not share that level of depth with them, but you can use your relationships with the community as a way of helping you to bring the teachings to the surface and more deeply soak them into the mind as you guys discuss them privately or in groups of two, three, four, five, ten people at different times. A question from Miranda. She says, how do we deal with different physical sensations during meditation? The best thing you can do is just understand that they're impermanent and let them go. But that takes training with the mind that maybe when you're first starting, you know, you can go five seconds or 10 seconds and then you've got to itch that physical sensation. Then you, you go a little bit longer, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. The longer you can go where you don't feel like you need to itch any particular sensation, the longer you can go in meditation, it actually trains your mind 
to be very still, very calm, recognize the impermanence of that sensation that's arising. So if it's like a piece of dust or just some little tinkle, you know, itch or something like that, that's the way I suggest you approach it. And even I've talked about insects in the past. Sometimes I've had like flies crawling on my head or on my nose. And these have been really great opportunities to just train the mind to focus on the breath and focus on the breath. So if you get those opportunities, see if you can hold the breath for longer and longer and then just elongate that where in meditation you don't need to constantly itch these bodily sensations. Now, if it's a sensation of pain, like if it's the hip or knees or ankles or the back or something like this, I suggest that you adjust your body position to get the body comfortable. There's no rewards for suffering through bodily pain physical pain as a result of the body being in a particular position for too long because if the circulation is inhibited or the nerve is kind of firing and if you were to stay in that position there could be damage to the physical body so just shift your body or stand or lay or something like this if it's physical pain in the body that you can avert by just changing your position but if it's these little tiny itches on the surface of the skin Just try to go longer and longer and longer without actually itching them. And then you get to the point where you don't need to itch them. And you know that your mind is very stable because in the past where it would maybe drive you crazy and you'd have to itch it within a few seconds, you're going to see that you can actually go the whole course of this bodily sensation arising and then getting really intense and then fading away and you see the impermanence of that, and you just didn't even have to budge from your meditation. And this, you will see the mind becoming more and more stable as part of that. Thanks, teacher. Uh, no more questions for now. While we were chanting, I saw Miranda's dog come and get her. So I don't know if that's the bodily sensation she was talking about. <laughs> but it was very cute. I imagine dogs and cats probably hear the chanting. They can tune into it and maybe curious, like, what's going on here? What's going on here? They may even start howling with you, right? Some animals will do that. All right, any questions from you, James or Manal? No more questions at this time, David. Okay, well, I will just thank you all for joining for today's session and encourage you to continue to keep practicing your meditation, of course, but also Buddhist chanting, because next week on Wednesday, it'll be our third class in this series, I won't do the kind of recap that we did today. We'll just go right into some chanting and helping you guys with maybe some personal guidance if you would like that. So I will see you either this Sunday where we'll be talking about chapter six, which is the middle way, or next Wednesday where we'll be doing Buddhist chanting part three. And then of course we have our Saturday Pali Canon and English study group for those of you guys that are studying in that program as well. So in the meantime, have a really lovely rest of your day. Enjoy your chanting, your meditation, and I'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. 
A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.